0: Hey everyone, welcome to Chiropractical. Thank you for your tremendous response and support of our prior episodes. We're thrilled to have you back. Chiropractical is a podcast about chiropractors for chiropractors. And at NCMIC, our motto is we take care of our own and this is just one more way that we demonstrate that. The show is designed to help you regardless of where you are in your career. My name is Chick Herbert, I'm the co-host of Chiropractical and I'm thrilled to be joined today by my friend, peer and co-host Melissa Knutsen. We have a great lineup of guests and we are sure it's going to be entertaining and educational.
1: Today we're joined by Dr. Brent Leninger. Dr. Leninger is an associate professor in the Integrative Health and Wellbeing Research Program at the University of Minnesota. He's the past recipient of several prestigious awards and has a lot of advice to share with us about research, specifically steps that you should consider if you want to get into research and what makes a good research topic.
0: We're also thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Heidi Horvick. Many of you know Dr. Horvick and her great work in the research space. She's the director of research at the New Zealand College of Chiropractic, and she has her PhD in human neurophysiology. Clearly, a highly educated, very bright and passionate woman. We're excited to share her message with you.
1: And with that, let's get started.
0: A primary goal of Chiropractical is to connect you, our listeners, with a variety of leaders spanning the chiropractic profession, unique and insightful leaders that will broaden your perspectives and bring value to your practice. I can state with great confidence that our next guest will check all those boxes and more. I'm thrilled to welcome Dr. Heidi Horvick. Dr. Horvick is the Director of Research at the New Zealand College of Chiropractic In addition to being a chiropractor, she has a Ph.D. in human neurophysiology from the University of Auckland. She's worked in the area of human neuropsychology for 15 years, and she is the author of a book, Multiple Research Papers and Research Extraordinaire. Uh, Welcome. I'm going to call you Heidi Welcome, Heidi.
2: Thank you so much, Jake. This is awesome.
0: <laughs> Great to have you with us. You're, I, I think now we can claim that we're an international podcast since you're in another hemisphere from us. We appreciate that very, <laughs> very, very, very much. I know that your mission is to enlighten the world about the science of chiropractic. Can you give us a little bit of your background and your current focus and initiatives?
2: It definitely is my mission. I didn't know that this was my mission, but it sort of became my mission um, over the years. I um, grew up in a... um Norwegian household with a New Zealand mother. So this is where my strange accent comes from, uh, partly New New Zealander and partly Norwegian. But uh, I'm very much Norwegian in the way I was was brought up. My dad's a medical doctor, so I grew up in the medical world. I had really planned on going into medicine or psychology or I was even studying philosophy there for a while because I Hmm. thought it was really cool. (laughs) But I ended up studying chiropractic. And I absolutely loved it. It fit with my own values and belief systems. Anyway, studying at the chiropractic college, what I realized is we don't understand a lot about how it works. And this is what struck me. And I, I, I've got this brain that yes, I can do things. I really enjoyed chiropractic. And when I finally managed to adjust bones, you know, which took me a while, <laughs> once, that, once it finally was in me, I mean, I just adored it. And the changes you could see in people were phenomenal, but I couldn't understand how or why this was happening. And that just used to drive me mad. So because I had that left brain, too, that worked really well, I got, you know, A pluses at you know, university, um, I continued and studied human neurophysiology, as you said. And we started to do experiments, even early in my PhD research, looking at the effects of adjusting subluxations on brain function. And what struck us really early on was that we were changing brain function. And, and we hadn't, as a profession, been looking at the brain. I mean, I know a few people had, but most chiropractors were looking at, you know, nerve root changes and squashed nerve roots, and this is what we thought, this is how it worked. But right from early on in our research, we were showing that we changed the brain. So this is this kind of just took over my world and my life. And the more we've studied it, the more we're discovering that when we adjust subluxations, when we chiropractors adjust subluxations in the spine, we're actually changing the way the brain perceives what's going on inside your body and the world around you. And by changing the way your brain perceives what's going on, it will change the way the brain controls your entire system, uh, the way you function, the way you think, the way you feel. And it's, it's, been, it's been an incredible journey. So then I realized that, well, you know, it's not just me that doesn't know this. The whole world doesn't know this. So then it sort of became my mission. Well, I need to enlighten the world. I need to tell the chiropractic profession. I need to get it out there to the public. Because if you start to realize what chiropractic is, it's not just about back pain, neck pain and headaches. This is about your entire reality. So I'm all about doing the, the research, very relevant research for chiropractors, but also translating, and again, not just our science, but other people's science that's relevant to practicing chiropractors and then to to put it into easy-to-understand language, both for the chiropractor and to help them communicate it to the public. So we translate it into the lay language as well. And that's literally become my mission, and I just love it.
0: And what has been the most insightful and interesting research that you've uncovered in your work? And I know that's a broad question because there have been so many things, but if you wanted our audience to understand one, what might that be?
2: The most exciting research that we've been doing recently is the work that we've been doing in stroke victims. Because of the changes we were seeing over 20 years now, 20 years we've been doing this, and seeing these changes in brain function, uh, one of the non-chiropractic physiologists, neurophysiologists that we were working with, Professor Kamal Turka, he then said, well, Heidi, if you can make these changes in people's brains that makes them more efficiently able to use their muscles and produce force, which is coming from the brain, you should really be studying this in people that have lost their cortical ability to activate their muscles. So you should really be doing this research in stroke victims. So this sort of led to this line of research that we're looking at now. And it's quite remarkable because this is an area that we wouldn't naturally think of. Funnily enough, if you go back to our forefathers, they did think about this and they were working on, on people back then, you know. But, but this has been the most amazing thing because the first study we did then go ahead and do in, in stroke victims again we're just checking and adjusting subluxations of the spine and then we're recording their ability to contract their muscles in stroke Mm -hmm. victims that have actually lost their ability so it's in their affected lower limb it was in their legs and they had an average increase after one single adjustment session of a guy that was one year out of our college at the new zealand college of chiropractic they had an increase of over 65 percent in their maximum ability to produce force in their affected lower limb in their leg muscle That was just mind-blowing to me. I just couldn't believe it. And this fit perfectly with the research that we'd already been doing. And now we've followed it up and we've done a clinical trial because, you know, again, I mean, 65% increase in strength. You you would assume that's a good thing, right? (laughs) Talking stroke victims here. But you still actually have to follow that up and see, does it actually help them? Do they function better? And and, and this this line of research, to me, is so exciting because it opens up the possibility that we're – definitely not just helping people with back pain neck pain and yeah. headaches we are improving brain function even in people that have lost their ability to use their brain so that to me opens up the field now for Parkinson's disease um, Alzheimer's disease Huntington's disease all the neurodevelopmental disorders but not just that you know even in, in the children neurodevelopmental disorders you were talking ADHD autism which any brain functional areas now and I can't help but just mentioning it briefly is this work that we're starting up with with children because it's one thing I noticed in practice you know is you know the amount of parents that would come back almost in tears because we've just checked and adjusted kids and and had such a change in their lives and if you if you think we're changing children at a young age that's the rest of their life, that potential that you can change in their whole development. And that's an area that really, really excites me. And we're doing some awesome research with some really cool chiropractors in the United States, actually, that are working in with school boards. And so we're accessing these kids that are having some difficulties learning, but also just normal children. And then looking at chiropractic care and, and testing how they're doing in their mental health, their wellbeing, their physical performance and their school performance, really, really exciting. And that's something I hope can grow into like, I would just love chiropractic care to be an option that most kids or all kids have access to, mm-hmm. that, that that's just a normal part of of life from pregnancy onwards, if you know what I mean.
0: Mm-hmm. You strike me as someone that brings a little bit of energy and passion to the table. Uh, I don't know where I'm picking that up. I'm somewhat observant. No. no. <laughs> so I have to imagine that while you're proud of the accomplishments and the research and the things that you're bringing forward. What are some of your frustrations in, in the research process? Uh, Has there been an impact on your research as a result of COVID or are you continuing to blaze the trail in the same path?
2: It's sort of ground a lot of our experiments to a halt, so we're not allowed to do the face-to-face experiments, which is a real shame. Like we've got this awesome French PhD student, Lucien's out from from France, um, because we've gotten funding from this fabulous company in in the US called NCMIC. They're just really awesome people. (laughs) And they're not only they're co-funding his scholarship to, to do uh, this PhD with us, but also they funded his actual project, which is an amazing, amazing study, looking at the neurophysiology of the spine using multi-channel EMG recordings. And I'm talking like hundreds of channels of EMG. We can actually start to extract single motor unit data from it. And so you, you can start to get information of whether the drive to these muscles, the erector spina muscles over the spine whether the drive is coming from the brain or the spinal cord and you can see changes in patterns and it's, but we're also looking at the biomechanics. So we're looking at the movement patterns. So we've got, you know, all these balls stuck on the person. And it's, it's, it's an amazing study where we can actually explore the biomechanics and the neuroscience of how the central nervous system controls the spinal segments in both healthy people, people that are developing problems and people with chronic pain. And again, we can look at it when they're standing, walking, you know, just having a perturbation to their system and Mm -hmm. pre and post adjustments. We might even be able to get right down to looking at if there's a difference in the neurophysiology of a subluxated segment versus an unsubluxated segment. So there's just so much exciting stuff. So his research, we're right in data collection right now. So that is extremely frustrating because he's like, we're shut down. But the cool thing is <laughs> my, my team is so awesome and adaptable. We're really close to on some uh, amazing collaborations, opportunities that could be really incredible. Because if we could run that Neuronian trial in a medical university hospital in collaboration with, and, and everything is just so going towards that, I can't see why the profession wouldn't get behind it. Like it's not, you, you just couldn't, you couldn't argue against that. If it—if if this neuroimmune trial was run in a medical hospital with, with in collaboration with us, but it just, it would be so bulletproof. And if you then really do show that, hey, if you've had that period of chiropractic care and you then have an immune challenge, you actually get over it real quickly. Well, then we can start saying that chiropractic care does seem to boost immunity, does prevent you from you know getting sick um, and we can even follow up and see if their recovery period of those that do get sick is shorter less symptoms and then you can actually start to quantify it a little bit and I know one trial is not enough but at least it would be something you It'd know be a start. I would love to just finish off with um, encouraging you to uh, learn your science there's a lot of classes online classes that you can take um, I'd highly encourage you to learn your science if you find this science exciting if you find it's answering questions about chiropractic, if you can start to see the importance of us doing this research, like especially with the COVID situation where you're not allowed to say that we boost immune system and you think that we should be able to because you see it in practice, then please, please don't think that your little input couldn't make a difference. The more people that, or more chiropractors that actually care enough to make a small donation it makes such a big difference. If we can collectively put this together, we can make a difference. We are so keen on running a neuroimmune clinical trial to actually test whether chiropractic care does boost immune system, whether it does prevent you from from developing symptoms, if it uh, speeds up recovery once you are sick. We've done a lot of work because of the neuroimmune review we've written. We've also designed a study and we're working with immunologists, we're working with medical professionals as well as part of a team to put together a really good clinical trial, but we are going to need funding. So that's kind of my, my message. Learn your science and become involved, please. Please help us. Well,
0: that's a great message. Well, I've really enjoyed the conversation. Great to spend time with you. Thank you. And on behalf of NCMIC, thanks for your continued effort on the research front. It's so important.
2: Thank you. And thanks to NCMIC. I mean, you guys are an amazing team. I haven't met a single person part of your team that's not amazing. I really enjoy you and appreciate you and appreciate your support.
0: Thank you.
3: hi
4: i'm mike whitmer with ncmic doctors ask me all the time about risk management issues they're facing in practice we want to address these questions for you each episode of chiropractical we call it ask ncmic this episode's question comes to us from dr jeff in utah dr jeff asks i'm entering my second year as a practicing dc and because my small solo practice is starting to grow a colleague of mine advised that i should look into incorporating my practice This shouldn't change anything for my malpractice insurance, right? I mean, I'm still just a one-doc shop. To address Dr. Jeff's question, we went to Emily Wood, a corporate relations representative with NCMIC.
5: Thanks for the question, Dr. Jeff. Incorporating is a great way to protect yourself. Considering the corporation, whether it is an LLC, S-Corp, whatever designation you chose, it can be sued for your actions and drawn into a lawsuit alongside you. The courts treat the entity like an individual. We recommend that if the business is chiropractic in nature and you are the majority owner, that you always add your entity to your malpractice policy. Once you have added the corp, then NCMIC will pay for the defense cost and any damages that are assigned to the entity as well. Otherwise, you yourself would be paying for that. Because we're focused on helping our doctors do more at NCMIC, if you and the corporation share in the policy limits, then there is no cost to you for this coverage. In some cases, doctors buy additional coverage for the corp, We leave that up to you to determine if you think that's necessary. At NCMIC, we never tell you how to practice. We insure you for how you do.
4: Do you have a question? Send it to us at AskNCMIC at NCMIC.com.
1: Dr. Lineker, thank you for joining us today to share your insights into the world of chiropractic research. So what sparked your passion to get into chiropractic and then specifically into chiropractic research?
3: So I I grew up in a small town in Western Minnesota. So there's really only one primary physician to see and he I've seen him my entire life and took good care of me. And I showed up with these ankle problems and he did an evaluation and did a bunch of x-rays and uh, came back and said, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. You're being a baby. You just got to suck it up. and and get over it. And so I was like, well, okay, That's, that's good. And so the next step was my mother took me to the chiropractor and the chiropractor didn't have a magical answer, but at least they had, he gave me, well, here's some exercises you can do. That's really what sparked it for me was like, okay, at least I guess I felt listened to. The interest in research really came when I was at chiropractic college. So I went to Palmer back in the early 2000s, and I didn't know a lot about chiropractic other than my experience that I had had with my local chiropractor. And so when I got to college, it struck me that there everything was really black and white, and that really wasn't the way I thought the world worked. And so I started uh, doing a lot of Uh, spending a lot of time in the library looking at what research was out there around the care of these different conditions or you know when you should do this or when you should do that and Mm -hmm. quickly realized that there wasn't a lot I mean there was some research but not a lot to to substantiate a lot of the black and white that I was being taught yeah and so that's what really inspired me to want to pursue a career in research
1: but it took a lot to get to where you are today so tell us a little bit more about that
3: yeah, so I, you know, I was in private practice for 3 years before I stopped ignoring the voice in the back of my head that said, you know, you really should pursue a career in research because, you know, I just gone through chiropractic college and, you know, had a bunch of student loan debt for becoming a chiropractor. There it didn't really wasn't clear to me how one would even start a career in research or what opportunities would be available. So luckily, for me um, one of my contacts in my local provider network who i'd reached out to was a physical medicine and rehab clinician at mayo and he was uh doing a a research or he was on a research track. and he said you know there's here's a couple of groups that you might want to talk to where you could get started um doing a career you know get started on some research projects and and really start to build your career. So one of them was a group up in the cities that was doing uh, research at Northwestern Health Sciences University. Had been doing a number of clinical research studies, which that was what my interest was. Was really you know the day-to-day decisions that clinicians are making, making, and how can we provide data to help inform some of that? And that's where I got my start. And worked with them for three or four years in that capacity before I actually put in uh, my first grant. And the grant was specifically for me to provide more training to develop further as a researcher. So I started a clinical research program at the University of Minnesota where I was getting a master's degree in clinical research. Was successful with that first grant, So, so NIH, was able to pay for some of my schooling and some of the, and give me a stipend to cover my experience while I was working on the, the clinical trials and other research projects the group was going or undertaking. Did my master's of clinical research, finished that, applied for. Another grant to do further career development. So this is a career development award. Give me five years to get an even further education. So I entered into a PhD program at the University of Minnesota, which I'm still currently in. I'm near the end of that. So I'm getting my PhD in health policy uh, and administration. A lot of my training is on economic evaluations. So providing the know, the economic impact of the different treatment approaches and where is there value where there's not value. So learning how to do those sorts, sorts of analyses. Mm-hmm. So did that for, for close to five years and finally got me to the point where I applied for with my primary mentor as co-project leads for our first actual project grant where I'm the head of it. But it took 10 years to, yeah. to get to that point if somebody's interested in in pursuing a career in research you know how would yes. they go about doing that yes and, and i was saying the first step is really you know what you know research is a broad field and a broad topic and there's many different types of research so first understanding you know where are you where is your real interest is it in you know day-to-day clinical activities and and doing clinical research or are you more interested in basic science research trying to understand some of the mechanisms behind uh, disease processes, or how particular interventions might may have an effect. Um, so that would be a good first step, because knowing which line of research you're interested in can help you start to look at, you know, who's doing that type of work in the area you're interested in, who's doing that type of work that you'd, you know, in an area where you'd be willing to, you know, let's say you wanted to make that step and start getting additional training. Is, is there a lab where you could do training and could work with them? You know, is it near you? Is it away from you? Are you willing to move to a different area of the country to, to pursue that line of work? So first step is just taking a step back and looking at, you know, what's the significance of the potential problem that you're trying to address in the research question? Who's it significant to? Is it significant to, you know, the broad population, all of society, or is it more of a a problem specific to an individual provider group or a specific condition? You know, because the the more widespread the issue and the problem you're trying to solve that can inform, you know, who you're going to look to to potentially fund the project, right? So Mm -hmm. if you're looking at going to the U S government, like the national institutes of health for funding um, the broader, the problem um, the more likely they're going to have an interest. Whereas if it's more of a, a subset, there might be a particular association or some other foundation that has a particular interest in that, problem that you could potentially get funding from and then the second part is is what sort of research has been done to address this problem in the past maybe you know it's it's a problem but there's a lot of research out there uh, that's similar to what you're proposing and how would you build on that or could you build on that is there anything to build on because if if that question has already been answered and it's been answered sufficiently um, you know sometimes just because there's a uh, research project that's been done on a particular question. Sometimes it might have had some issues with with the conduct of the study, or they might you might take a slightly different look or ask a slightly different question that would provide a slightly different answer. So that might be a way to approach it. But yeah, so those are the main two steps: is you know, is it significant? Who's it significant to? What's been done in the past, and how is our project going to really add to that? Um, Because you could find out that, yeah, this project we're thinking of doing, it's already been done, but no one's done this next step, you know, and and so maybe we need to move down and really work on this next step or move up and, you know, this is a problem, but to answer this problem, no one's answered this question that comes before it. And so Mm. you you can kind of move up or down the research chain, uh, depending on what's been done and, and where the current knowledge is on that problem.
1: In your opinion, can you think of any? Are there any big glaring gaps right now in research, from a chiropractic perspective?
3: Yeah, there's still a lot of gaps. Um, there's been a lot of research um, from a clinical perspective of you know what treatment works best for just back pain and neck pain in mm-hmm. general. But you know when you look at, not everyone has just run-of-the-mill back pain. And you know, every chiropractor listening, will probably tell you that you know the. 20 patients who come into their office, all 20 of them are somewhat unique and sure. have different issues, different problems. And so once you start digging into the weeds a little bit more and finding you know, what's the best approach for this particular constellation of, mm-hmm. of issues, um, the further you dig, the less information that's there.
1: So let's say, so research is put out, um how can chiropractors use that research to inform their patients or help their
3: patients so that's a great question something we struggle with because there's an enormous amount of research that's put out and it's getting to be more and more and so how if you're running a practice how do you how are you expected to keep up to date with this volume of new information that's right. coming out it's, so there's probably the simple things you could do is you know, if you're reaching out and joining one of those evidence-based chiropractic networks, getting on their lift serve, getting on their, their blog, so you just kind of keep up to date and with new uh, evidence as it's coming out. The other thing is being very mindful about what community education programs you take part in. You know, there's some that do a really good job at synthesizing the evidence and and bringing that into their. Their continuing education. Mm-hmm.
1: What's the best advice you've ever received in your career?
3: Um, I think patience. And, mm-hmm. you know, to be patient. So undertaking research is, especially clinical research, is a, um, you have to be patient to see the process through. I mean, most of the projects we're working on, so you get an idea for the project, you develop a grant for it. That whole process can take anywhere between two to six months. Typically, these projects are five to six years before it's all said and done. You've analyzed the data and then you're starting to publish. And even just the publication process can take you know months because you submit it, it has to go through peer review. That can take a month or two to get comments back to you and you have to respond to all that.
1: Yeah, so definitely being patient is gonna be key. Otherwise, you're never gonna get through all of that, right? What impact has the COVID-19 crisis had on your research activities?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. It's had a, a big impact. You know, As you can see, I'm working from home. We had a number of, of clinical trials ongoing when COVID hit uh, with in-clinic activities. Um, one of them was a community-based trial. So we were looking at increasing uh, physical activity for adults 50 and older. And so we were partnering with the YMCAs of the Twin Cities when that hit. And so we had to quickly figure out, you know, what can we do remotely? So our group was lucky enough that those interventions could be delivered, could be transitioned to a remote delivery where we could get, instead of having participants show up at the YMCA, we got them all outfitted with technology where they could show up to a virtual class-based setting and actually partake in in the um, educational programs over Zoom, but we have another project um, looking at preventing acute back pain from turning chronic, and so that had a lot of clinic activity, Um, and so right now that's all shut down, so we're looking at, you know, can we do the screening through a remote um, process, so screening people with acute back pain uh, through, through Zoom. And there are elements of the trial that can be delivered remotely. One of the arms is, is medical care. Um, so that can be done via remote delivery. The other one is more of a self-management. So it's a supported self-management program um, with physical therapists and chiropractors. So taking a whole person approach, teaching, teaching participants how to care for their back pain um, using a n- number of different mind-body tools, which could be taught remotely through a Zoom interface. Mm-hmm. So those sorts of things we're still uh, pursuing, but it caused a lot of disruption because it's, it's not just as easy as saying, okay, well, let's just do that like that way because there's other elements in the art, in the trial that can't be done remotely, so you have to... Take a step back and look at what impact that does that have on your analysis and get approval from the funding agencies Mm -hmm. and so we spent a lot of time working on that.
1: Well thank you Dr. Leninger for joining us today. I've sincerely appreciated all of the tidbits of information you've provided us about research and and how our listeners can either get into the research field or make better use of the research that's available to them. So thank you so much and stay safe and thank you for joining us.
3: Yeah, thank you. It's my pleasure.
1: Well, Chick, I don't know about you, but I didn't think I'd be spending so much time learning about research, but I'll tell you what, I'm glad that we did spend the time to talk to these researchers because it's incredibly important and vital for the chiropractic profession. So, what were your thoughts as you talked to our guests?
0: Uh, one that I'm not nearly as smart as our guests. So, I'm <laughs> glad there are such intelligent people doing the research and involved in the research. All kidding aside, in my conversation with Dr. Horvick, I took away the importance of research, the importance of funding for research, and that the entire profession benefits from that research.
1: Yeah, and, and what I learned the most from Dr. Leninger is, is that research, if you're passionate about research, there's a lot of ways that you can get involved. So you don't have to do that research yourself. You can partner with other researchers, you can submit ideas. And obviously the financial support is a good way to do that as well.
0: I couldn't agree more. If you're interested in learning more about our guests and more specifically the information that they referenced in their interviews, that is available at ncmic.com forward slash chiropractical. So check it out. As always, thank you for listening. We truly appreciate it. We encourage you to hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that it will automatically be in your feed. And if you're so inclined, please leave a review. So it was great to spend time with you again today. And we look forward to talking to you again next month.
1: Thanks all take care and stay well.